Our reading this evening is from 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 28 uh, to chapter 3, verse 10. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps him sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I'm just going to pray for Scott as he comes to speak. Father God, thank you for your words. Uh, We pray that Scott would be able to speak on it clearly, help us to listen and help us to understand uh, what you have to say for us, uh, to us through Scott. Amen. Thank you, Peter, for reading uh, and for praying for us. Good evening, everyone. Uh, please keep 1 John open in front of you. That will be a big help as we study it together this evening. We've spent some time in this reassuring letter written to what is a really sad situation which has unfolded roughly 2,000 years ago. A very loud sounding and a very impressive looking group of individuals have left a church or have left a network of churches and those who have remained in the church are feeling somewhat unsettled by this. This is a group of individuals that would be well known and probably even well-loved within a church family. I was thinking about it earlier on this week. Imagine with me if roughly one-third, let's go with a third, because we're divided into three columns. Imagine if one-third of those who gather here regularly on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening, say this column here to my left, to your right, imagine they were to stand up one week and declare that they're not coming back here. Because frankly, the rest of us are holding them back. 
we would hear them say things like, we know God better than you do. We have completely defeated sin in our lives. We've had enough of your basic level one Christianity and we're off. It's a confusing, it's a painful situation and we've seen it get even worse as the letter goes on. Not only have they left, but they're still trying to entice others to go with them. So last week we read in verse 26 of chapter 2 that those who have left the church are trying to deceive those who have stayed in the church. So we would hear this third, this column here, say things like, we know God better than you do, so come with us. We have totally defeated sin, so come with us. If you ever want to progress past where you are in your faith, then you really, really need to leave here and follow us instead. They're very, very happy to divide the church in two, and they're very, very happy to take more and more people with them. And so in response to all of this, John writes a letter. John writes a letter to reassure the church. And we've seen plenty of reassurance throughout the letter as John shows these Christians the evidence that they need to see that they are in fact genuine, true believers, and they need not go anywhere. So we saw a few weeks ago that John says in chapter 2 verse 12 that he is writing these things to them because their sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Verse 13, because you know him who is from the beginning, because the word of God abides in them and they have overcome the evil one. John says you're genuine Christians. And we're heading towards chapter 5, verse 13, where we will hear John say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Again, John is writing to them as genuine Christians to tell them that they're genuine Christians. And we see throughout John's letter some really clear, really reassuring evidence that their faith in Christ is authentic. So we've seen that this is a church family that takes the apostles' message seriously. It's a church family that takes sin and the cross seriously. It's a church family that loves other believers seriously. But by contrast... John has already begun to flag up the big, big giveaways that those who have left are actually enemies of God, enemies of his gospel, enemies of true, genuine followers of Christ. He says that those who have left, these false teachers, the evidence we see from them is that they've discarded the teaching of the apostles. They have denied that Jesus is who he says he was, the Messiah, the Savior. And they have hated their brother, they have hated their sister in the church by wanting to take them with them into their lives. So John says, 
Don't be deceived. You are genuine, true believers. And so as we dive into these verses this evening that Peter read out for us, a good question for us to ask would be, how are these words reassuring? How are these words going to reassure a Christian who is in the sort of situation that these churches are in, in 1 John? How are these verses a reassuring reminder to the Christian believer facing the pressure of being deceived into a lie that they are the real deal? And I think that's an especially helpful question to ask this evening when we read things in 1 John that might not initially sound all that reassuring. I don't know how your weeks have been, but reading words such as verse 6 of chapter 3, which reads, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. That does not fill me with the reassurance with which I think 1 John is supposed to fill me. In fact, the verse reads even more literally, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Feeling reassured? I don't know if I am. What I do know is that I've sinned this week, and I've certainly done it more than once. So can I say with any confidence that I know Jesus at all if I still sin? I thought I did, but perhaps my sinful heart is evidence that I don't. Well, if you read these verses and feel that way, please know that you're not alone. And over the next 20 minutes or so, I'm sure we'll all find these verses to be a really warm and a really kind reassurance that we do have eternal life because we are children of God and not children of the devil. So you'll see on your service sheet in your Bibles those two points listed there. That's how we'll study this section of 1 John this evening. Let's dive into the first half of our section. John says, know that you have eternal life because you are children of God. So chapter 2, verse 28, read again with me. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. See, all of God's children are heading towards what is going to be a really spectacular family reunion. When Jesus appears, and for John, the exciting part of the whole thing is to stand before Jesus with confidence rather than having to shrink away from Jesus in shame. And John writes these things to this church because in the clutter and in the mess of false teaching and the church being pulled in two different directions, this church needs to be reassured that a day is coming when everything will be clear. John wants the church to look forward to the return of Jesus with genuine gospel assurance. And that confidence that the Christian can have is because of our new birth in our righteous Jesus. So verse 29, read with me. Jesus is righteous, 
and you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The last time I read the letter of 1 John was with a student whose older sister and father I also happen to know and I have known over the years. And I can very vividly remember sitting with him on a few occasions in a coffee shop in Edinburgh, looking through these verses, combing through what John said to the church, and after observing certain mannerisms, hearing him say certain things in certain ways, I remember thinking, you are just like your dad. And John says to the church to whom he writes, you practice righteousness because you are just like your dad. You have been born of a loving father and you are united to a loving, righteous Jesus. Therefore, your life is increasingly characterized unavoidably irreversibly by righteousness. You bear the family likeness. Now imagine the church hearing these words and imagine how reassured that will leave them feeling. John says, we can tell that you're the real deal, church. We know that you have eternal life because you practice righteousness. We can see you practicing righteousness as children of a righteous God, thanks to the generous love of a good, kind Father. We can see very clearly that you love the teaching of the apostles. We can see very clearly that you acknowledge and you follow and you love Jesus as your Savior. And we can see very clearly that you love one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus. And so to borrow John's words, these are all righteous practices. They're righteous habits. It's a wonderfully simple description of what it looks like to be an ordinary, everyday, genuine Christian practicing ordinary, everyday, genuine righteousness. Loving Jesus, loving his words, loving one another. But John also wants to reassure the church that in terms of pure living, in terms of holy living, in terms of sinless living, the church is not quite there yet. So read with me in verse 2 of chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. That's a gospel guarantee. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So as if John wasn't excited enough about the family reunion, he reassures the church that when we see Jesus, we're not going to shrink from him in shame, but instead we'll be immediately transformed to be like him. Now, let's remember that those who had left the church were trying to deceive the church into thinking that living sinless lives, that was possible now, today, and that rescue from sin could be found outside of meeting Jesus face to face. 
Maybe Jesus isn't necessarily the Christ, the Messiah that we need to fight sin and to end sin in our lives. John says, no. Sinless living will only be fully possible when he appears. When Christ appears and when genuine gospel believers are immediately transformed on that day to be like him. John recognizes that the struggle against sin is real, but it is set in the backdrop of the promise that one day we will be free from sin's presence in our lives forever, entirely. John recognizes the rescue that we will know from sinful living when we gaze upon Jesus face to face forever. Those are the gospel expectations that John wants the church to have. An understanding that what we will be has not yet appeared, but that one day we will look upon our righteous Savior and we will be irreversibly transformed to live in a way that is righteous for all eternity. That is a massively reassuring promise for the children of God to cling to And so John encourages God's children to do two things in light of all of this. The first is in verse 28 of chapter 2. The second is in verse 3 of chapter 3. Abide in him, John says, and hope in him. Abide in him and hope in him. He says to the church, you are God's beloved children now. So know that you have eternal life from Jesus. And as children of God, knowing that you have eternal life, abide in Jesus. Hope in Jesus. Hope in his return. Hope for the promise of an eternity free from sinful living. And as you abide and hope in him, that will lead to righteous living. Loving Jesus, loving the teaching of the apostles, loving other Christians, all of which is the genuine gospel evidence of your genuine gospel faith in Christ. That is John's reassurance to the church. Personally, I'm always really hugely encouraged when someone that I'm meeting up with to read through the Bible or somebody I'm speaking to on a Tuesday night at card or somebody I'm speaking to on a Sunday here at a service says to me, I'm really, really struggling against this particular sin in my life. Or they say something like, I'm so annoyed at myself for falling into that particular sin again. I'd often say to that person that only a beloved child of God would ever say something like that or ever feel that way. So know that you have eternal life because you are children of God and abide in Jesus. And then in the second half of our passage, onto our second point, John swings the spotlight away from the genuine believers and onto those who have left the church. 
And so we learn more about their lies as John writes. So read verse 4 with me. John says of those who have left, everyone who commits sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, in Jesus, there is no sin. So no one who abides in him, who abides in Jesus, sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. John wants the church to know that if the gospel life of the genuine church family is marked by righteousness, if the genuine community of believers is marked by practicing righteousness, loving Jesus, loving the words of the apostles, loving one another, then the way that we spot and reject the lies of the false teachers is by the unrighteous, the sinful ways, the sinful lives that they live. What should the children of God be on the lookout for? Well, let's remember the things already that John has mentioned in his letter that these false teachers have done in order to try and tug the genuine believers away from the genuine Christ so they can spot these things, so they can spot the false teachers really, really clearly. See, John's already said in his letter, as you watch those who leave the church, as you watch their lives, you can see a very clear, sinful rejection of the apostles' teaching, a very clear and sinful rejection of Jesus as Savior, and a very clear and sinful hatred for you genuine Christians. Everything we saw at the start of our time together in 1 John this evening. John says, no one who abides in Jesus sins this way. So therefore, verse 7, do not be deceived. They say they know God better than you, but if that were true, John asks, why is their life still marked, still characterized by sinful living? Do not be deceived. They say that they have victory now over sin in a way that you don't, but if that were true, John asks, why is their life still marked and characterized by unrighteous, sinful living? Do not be deceived, he says. They might think that they know God better than you do, but by their words, all they show you is that they do not know God at all. They might claim to be without sin, but by their words, all they show you is that this is just sheer self-deception. These sinful practices are big, big giveaways that their gospel is false, that their claims are lies, and you are not to listen to what they say. Their sin is obvious for all to see, so do not be deceived. And he goes on to conclude our section this evening, verse 8, by comparing and contrasting the two families that have emerged as we've looked at 1 John this evening and as we've looked at 1 John so far. Here are two families living in very, very different ways, either practicing righteousness or practicing sin. So John writes, verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. 
And then in verse 10, he says, By this is evident that those who are the children of God, those who are the children of the devil, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. By contrast, if we read verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And if I can reach very tentatively into verse 11, we read that those who are children of God love one another. So those are the two families. One family makes a practice of sinning. One family hates genuine believers. The other family makes a practice of righteousness and loves those who are genuine followers of Christ. And so I hope that we now see that when John writes in verse 6 of chapter 3, no one who abides in him sins, he's not talking about me as a Christian, and he's not talking about you as a Christian. So it would be wrong for us to read these verses this evening and for us to think, which family do I sound more like? Which family do I belong to given the past 24 hours or the past week or the past month? It's much better to read these verses as the result of a DNA test. The certificate that we would see at the end of a sample being submitted, which proved and demonstrated beyond all doubt that we belong to God's family as his children. John says to this church, I have analyzed the sample and I am very, very happy to reassure you that you are not children of the devil, but you are children of God. How does he know? Well, their lives are not marked by continuous sinful rejection of Jesus, his words, his followers. Instead, these believers are genuine children of God because in their lives there is plenty of evidence plenty of evidence of righteous living, which can only ever come about as somebody who is genuinely born of God, abides in Christ. John wants the church to be genuinely reassured that they have eternal life by seeing that evidence of the way that they practice righteousness, by listening to the apostles, by accepting Christ as Savior, by loving one another, and continuing to do so. And so as we draw to a close this evening, if we are sat here tonight as those who love Jesus, John would want us to be reassured that you are a genuine child of God. Reassured that even if things don't look all that special yet, as you think about your lives, they one day will. So ask yourself this question. If you could somehow pack your spiritual bags for the journey ahead to the day when we stand face to face before Jesus, if you could pack your spiritual bags for that journey, would you choose to fill those bags with righteousness or with sinfulness? As you look forward to the family reunion, the day when you see Jesus face to face, are you excited to confidently run towards him? As you look at your brothers and sisters in Christ, is your inclination to love, to love them, or to lead them away from Jesus, 
to lead them away from the gospel. See, only someone who is a genuine child of God would want to live a righteous life. Only someone who is a genuine child of God would want to meet Jesus face to face. Only someone who is a genuine child of God would have that gospel love to see their brother or sister grow to be more like Jesus. And John would want us to be reassured by the evidence of those righteous practices in our lives, even in our struggle against sin, that we genuinely are children of God because God has loved us, not because we've balanced the scales, but because he has made us his children. Yes, we still stumble into sin, and we even do so willingly at times. But that is not the family that we belong to anymore. If you are a Christian sat here this evening, you are on a journey, just like the churches were to whom John writes, towards a family reunion where you will see Jesus face to face and be transformed to be just like him. John would want you to know that the Son of God, Jesus, came to destroy the works of the devil. And so as one of God's children, you are on the winning side, even if those who would try and tempt you away sound impressive and look impressive. You are on the winning side. God's seed abides in you. You have been born of God. And that gospel seed will grow and grow to bear more and more righteous practices in time. These are all wonderful gospel promises that John reminds us of to reassure us that even in the face of sin, we are genuine believers. In the meantime, sadly, sin will be a feature, something that we will continue to struggle against, something that we will continue to fight as God's children, in God's strength. But John would leave us with this. If anyone ever offers you a permanent solution to sin or a temporary solution to sin that is not Jesus, his rescue, his return, do not be deceived. If anyone tries to gently or firmly prize you away from Jesus, If they offer you Jesus plus something else, or Jesus without a few bits and bobs here and there. If they ever try to gently or firmly prize you away from Jesus' words, Jesus' apostles, Jesus' family, under the promise of a better way of living as a Christian, a better way to fight sin, a better way to live a holy life, do not be deceived. John says, those are the sinful lies of the evil one. They are shared and they are taught by his children. Instead, as a child of God the Father, always abide in Jesus. Soak in his word. Hope in him. Look forward to the family reunion at his return. And practice righteousness in the meantime. Those are wonderfully encouraging and reassuring words to the church back then. And I expect 
wonderfully encouraging and reassuring words for us as we sit here this evening. Let me pray for us as we close. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Father, we thank you for John's words. We thank you for their strength. And we thank you for the stark way in which they help us to see who is a genuine child of yours and who is not. Father, for those of us who listen this evening discouraged by the sin that they see in their lives, would you encourage us and would you remind us that we are your children and we will one day be sinless forever when we see Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the realistic way in which you talk about our lives and what it means to follow you and to follow Jesus now. So, Father, we pray and ask that you would stop us from being deceived by any means of living as a Christian that tries to take us away from Christ, from what he said, and from the way in which he encourages us to fight sin in his power, knowing that one day we'll be with him forever, where sin will be no more. Give us and equip us with everything that we need to do this, this evening, Father, and for the rest of our lives, until we see Jesus face to face. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.